So that just happened. I mean, for real, that just happened. We all together as a community, as a body, uniquely entered into the presence of God and praised his name. We, we just did what is going on in heaven right now. As the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come over and over and over. You know, we, we live in a place where we get to do this. And we don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. It's just blowing my mind right now how amazing our God is, how much he loves us, how much he desires us to praise his name. He's a mighty God. You know, I tell you what, you know, there's this, there's this idea, and you know, I, I think about the might of God, and I think the op- opposite of that is, is helplessness. Um, I've watched a movie or two in my day. I don't know, that sounded like I was bragging. <laughs> I want to brag, but I watched a movie one time. Um, but, you know, there, there are certain movies, action movies, uh, disaster movies, suspense movies, where you'll have a group of people together, something awful will happen, something terrifying will happen, and then one of them will just melt, right? They'll just become utterly helpless, incapacitated, just, you know, paralyzed by fear. You know what I'm talking about? You, you've, you've seen this, you've experienced this. Now, now when you see this happen, how do you feel about that person? Did anyone here feel compassion for that person? Like, oh, you poor thing, you, you're panicking. I've never felt that, ever. One time have I felt compassion for that person. Now, I feel more, more compassion towards them than I ever have before because I think God has transformed my heart and I should feel sorry for people. But when I was growing up, man, I despised that person. I thought, leave them, leave them behind. They, they, they deserve to die. They're polluting the gene pool. Like, I know, it's not good. It's not good. That was my flesh. That was my flesh. But that's the way that I felt towards those people that were helpless. Because I wasn't raised to be helpless. I remember my mom, when I was really young, and, and I was, uh, you know, writing things for school, and I would ask, hey, mom, how do you spell? I wouldn't even get all the words out of my mouth before she would say, look it up. And, and first of all, my thought was, how am I supposed to look it up if I don't know how to spell it? And, and second of all, I would be dreading the task of going into the other room and grabbing one of the Encyclopedia Britannica editions and, and then thumbing through that for the next hour to figure out how to spell the word. Right? But my mom, her goal was not that I would know how to spell things. It was that I would know how to do things for myself, that I wouldn't be helpless. I remember when my dad was training me in athletics. He pushed me very, very hard because he didn't want me to be helpless. He didn't want to raise a helpless child. In America, right, we, we prize, we idolize self-sufficiency. We want to be able to do things by ourselves. We don't like to ask for help. I, I love to give help sometimes, okay? Sometimes I really do. I really enjoy giving help to people, but I never want to ask for help, ever. I never want to ask for help. It, it just feels, I don't know, I can't even describe the feeling, but I just, I wasn't raised to do that. So one day uh, in college, I'm, I'm with my, my buddy Chris, and we're, we just got finished working out, and we were, we're hanging out in my apartment, and I realized, oh my, I've got an appointment I need to get to. I gotta go, I gotta run and jump in the shower. Chris, you gotta go. So, so I run to jump in the shower. Chris leaves. Um, 
I, I jump in the shower and I'm about to turn on the water and I hear banging at the door. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I'm running late. Obviously, Chris, who's the type of person that loses everything, he's left his keys or his cell phone or something in the house because I had one of those doors that locked automatically. So once he leaves, he can't get back in. So I jump out of the shower and I, I'm, I'm going to my room to put on my clothes and then Chris leaps out and scares me. He screams and I have never experienced terror like I experienced in that moment. I mean, just the, just fear gripped my, my life. Now, psychology 101, I learned that there are two types of people in this world when it comes to those type of situations. Because you have a hypothalamus in your brain and it, you either fight, right? You, 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 you punch someone or you flee. It's fight or flight, right? These are the two types of people when it comes to fear. They, they lied to me. There was a third type of person. <laughs> this type of person is the melter. I, I go, <sighs> and I just melt to the floor, right? I mean, hands down, the least manly thing I've ever done in my entire life, right? This is probably my, my wife doesn't want to have kids, right? Because she's afraid she wants to adopt because she's afraid that we'll have melters. Um, <laughs> and in that moment, there on the floor, I realized I'm the person I despise, I deserve to be left behind right now. Like, I don't deserve to be carried any farther. It was just, it was, it, was, it was an awful moment in my life because helplessness is not something that we think is good. We think self-sufficiency is good. And, and my question today is, is this an American thing or is this a Christian thing? Because if it's a Christian thing, then we need to embrace this, right? We need, to, we need to get rid of all the helpless people. That's a Christian thing. But if it's not, we need to figure out how are we supposed to interact. So why don't you grab your Bibles? Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. Um, if you grab one of the beautiful blues, it may be on page 564. I was informed last, uh, last gathering that there are two different page number beautiful blues, right? So, so you may have one, you may have the other. Um, but nonetheless, it's still Luke chapter 11 in, in both. Luke chapter 11, and, and I thought that we would, we would start out in Luke today in honor of George Lucas, Lucas Films being bought by Walt Disney World Corporation. I'm the campus pastor of Walt Disney World, and, and Luke is a very famous name in Star Wars, right? He's the one who has a father. So Luke chapter 11, it says, Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, I read that and I think, what a normal request. This, this disciple of Jesus's has seen him pray. He, he's seen him pray time and time again. He's seen that Jesus goes away and prays. He spends all night praying. He prays and he thanks God for, for food. He asks God to do things. I mean, he, he prays a lot. And so he says, wait, I want to know how to do this. Now, I'm going to put myself in his sandals. Now, I don't know if this is what he was thinking, but when I look at it and I think about, okay, I, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm hanging out with Jesus. This guy prays and crazy things happen, right? He prays and a guy who's blind receives his sight. He prays and a guy who's lame, who can't walk now can walk. He prays and demons come out of people. Right? When Jesus prays, stuff happens. Right? When Jesus prays, the Father actually listens. And, and for me, who wants stuff to happen, who, 
who wants my prayers to be answers, who wants to get stuff done, I want to know what is the wording I need to use that will turn God into my own genie, right? That will make God act on my behalf. What is the, Jesus, what's the wording? Is there a certain like position do I need to nail? Do I need to stand and raise my hands? Is this I need to be alone in public? Is there some certain phrase uh, that, that I need to say that, that will, you know, work? That, that would be my thought. That may have not been his thought. But here's what Jesus says. He goes into one of the versions of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and, and he says this. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Most of us have heard this prayer or a version of this prayer before. But what is interesting to me is Jesus decides that he wants to elaborate upon a certain portion of this prayer. Only one part of this prayer. He's going to elaborate upon it. And here's what he says in verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I can relate to this guy. I, I, when I go to sleep, don't, don't wake me up. That's just rude, right? I mean, we have enough sleep problems in, in our, our society to have to go to sleep once, but have to go to sleep again, twice, right? So, so I don't want to be woken up. Someone's banging on my door. I'm like, no, I'm pretending I'm not home. And so, so, here's, so here's what happens. He says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, good friend, uh, yet because of his impudence, another translation says, shameless audacity, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Right? He, he, okay, it's not, my friend's at the door. It's late. I'm tired. I'm going with sleep instead of friendship. But, but because my friend continues to bang on the door over and over, because he's impudent in the way that he bangs on the door, because he is audacious in the way that he is continually approaching me and disturbing me, I'm going to say, okay, forget this. I'm never going to be able to go to sleep if he continues to bang on my door all night. Fine, I will give him some food. That's kind of what the, the situation that Jesus is describing when he's elaborating upon how you're supposed to pray to God. Interesting. All right, let's turn a couple pages over to chapter 18. Chapter 18, starting in verse 2, Jesus tells a parable. He's talking about how you should pray and how you should, you should not lose heart in your prayers. Ever, ever begun to lose heart in your prayers? You pray and you don't hear any answer. You pray you don't see any, any answer. You pray and nothing happens. Imagine you've been there. So this is a parable so that you won't lose heart. He says, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow that in the city kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, it's good that he knows himself. He says, yet... Because of this, this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You can begin to imagine how persistent this widow must have been. I think about a child with the worst three-letter word ever. Why? 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 Because I said so. I know why that answer was invented by parents. 
Because you get so annoyed, you can't get to the bottom of why. Why is the sky blue? Well, because I, I don't, it's, it just is. I, I don't know. Stop asking why. Now, maybe you are much more gracious than, than, than I am, but you have those people in your life that are so persistent, you just get really annoyed with them and you think, stop it. it besides helplessness that we despise, we also uh, despise annoying persistence, right? We, we don't like either of those things. Don't, don't be either of those things. But, but God, Jesus is showing us, he's demonstrating to us how we should be towards the Father and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Speedily. Quickly. That if we cry out to God day and night, he is the type of father who will give us justice. He is the type of father who listens Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 15. Jesus is in, a, is in the area of Judea. And if you remember, when Israel, they, they crossed uh, into the, you know, over the Jordan into the, the, the land that God had promised them. This was the land of Canaan. Okay, And so the Canaanites were their enemies. They were the people that they were supposed to clear out so they could have the land. All right. It says, and Jesus went away from there and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon and, be, and behold, a Canaanite woman. Okay, so she's a descendant of the enemies of the Jews. Okay. A Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Does that shock anyone else? That doesn't sound like Jesus. This woman comes in, is crying out to him, and he just doesn't say anything, say anything. Kind of ignores her. All right? And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. She's annoying us. This is frustrating. Just send her away. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, is it, it is not right to take, or he says, is it not right? It is. Let's try again. Reading it happens. <laughs> it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This lady is turned away three times and she continues to come after Jesus with her request and he has compassion upon her and he heals her daughter. Go back to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is when he's headed to Jerusalem to do what he came to this earth to do. He's on a mission, and it's a pretty epic mission. He is going to save the world, okay? He's going to defeat death. He's going to defeat sin. He's going to die, you know, on the cross. This is what he came to the earth to do. He came to die. And so he's on his way to Jerusalem to do that which he came to do. It says, and he drew, as he drew near to Jericho, which was on the way, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. 
And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. The disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. And Jesus paints for them a picture of who it is that they are praying to. I mean, there's a story uh, earlier in the Gospels where, where Jesus is, is teaching in this house and it's so packed that no one can get in. And there are, there are a few guys who have a buddy that's, that's, that's uh, lame. Like he can't walk. And they want to see Jesus so bad. They want th- their friend to be healed by Jesus so bad that they go up on the roof and they open up the roof. They destroy this guy's roof to lower down their friend in front of Jesus. Can you imagine we're sitting here? Having a, having a great conversation. You've just laughed at some quib that I made, right? You can imagine it. It's not that hard. And all of a sudden, the roof starts falling apart, right? Things start dropping from the ceiling. And we're like, what is going on? I mean, how, th- this takes a lot of effort. And Jesus sees their faith and he heals their friend. How cool is this? Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mountain. He comes down. He comes down and, and, and there is a... Is, is a, a a leper waiting for him. Now, if you were a leper, this is the way you were supposed to interact in, in society. As soon as you got near anyone at all, you were supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, 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 so they would know to stay away from you because they didn't want you to infect anyone else. They didn't want you to make anyone else unclean or to pass on your leprosy. And this guy comes up to Jesus, a teacher, a rabbi, and begs to be healed, and Jesus touches him and heals him. There's a story of the woman, the woman who, who was likely a prostitute, and she comes to the Pharisee's house because she hears Jesus is there. And she shouldn't be coming to a Pharisee's house. She's a sinner. And then she goes in and she actually touches Jesus' feet. She's unclean, and she touches a rabbi. And Jesus has compassion upon her. And he forgives her. There's a man in the book of Mark, one of my favorite stories, who has a son that's been possessed by a demon and over and over he gets possessed and it throws him into convulsions. Sometimes it throws him into the fire. Sometimes it throws him into the water to try and kill him. And he cries out to Jesus, heal my son. And Jesus says, well, do you believe? And the man takes stock. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I mean, yeah, but no, no. And, and because he didn't have what it took, Jesus said, okay, then I'm not going to heal your son. That's not the story. He's, no, I don't believe like I should. Help my unbelief. And Jesus has compassion upon the man and he heals his son. Over and over throughout scripture, we see this beautiful picture of God as a loving father who sent his son to reveal himself to us, to save us, and his son who is revealing to us the father has compassion when people approach him in desperation, when they helplessly and persistently approach him. And we despise helplessness and we idolize self-sufficiency, but God does the complete opposite. 
God loves the persistent, audacious prayer of the helpless person. Now, in the way that my mind works, after going through this, my thought would be, well, great, now I know the formula. The formula is just to, to melt. I just need to panic, okay, and, and, and just cry out to God, help me, and then he'll do what I want him to do. That, that's the new formula. The new formula is helplessness. So now I just be helplessness. But, but we see that Jesus, that this is not what he's talking about. If you go back to the first passage in Luke chapter 11, when Jesus is unpacking the Lord's prayer, he says in verse 11, he says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? We live in Florida. Very few of us are actually from Florida. And when you come to Florida, you realize there are two things, two things to fear. Both of them are around bodies of water. Alligators, oh, they're scared of you, yeah. Have you seen one of those things? Okay, alligators and snakes. Oh, we got, we got a number of different poisonous snakes here in Florida. I think three or, or four different kinds of poisonous snakes. You got the coral snake. You've got the, the water moccasin. Goodness, those things are mean and they'll get you. Okay, Jesus says, what father among you, if your son's like, hey, dad, I'm really hungry. Dad will go, here's a water moccasin. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> no, one, no one's going to do that. I mean, that's, that's, that's awful. No one would do that. No one would do that. And he says, if, um, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The number one way that God has revealed himself to us is Father. Not, not a God who doesn't care, who creates, you know, winds up the clock and just says, all right, have fun, enjoy, see what happens. No, a, a God who is a father who loves his children, who desires intimacy with his children, who is constantly pursuing his children. This is the picture that we have of God. Jesus teaches us how to pray and says, hey, remember who it is that you are praying to, not necessarily what it is you're praying for. Because the point is relationship. Right, sometimes God answers with a yes, sometimes he answers with a no, sometimes he answers with a not now, because he knows best. He knows everything, past, present, and future. We don't know the future. We think we know what's best, but we don't know what's best. And Jesus says, that's not the point anyway. The point is relationship, because that's what you need. Moses got this idea. He got this. In, uh, in Exodus chapter 33, uh, Moses is on the mountain with God. God has just given him the Ten Commandments. He goes down uh, to the people because there's a ruckus going on. Uh, that's what you say in, in hillbilly language. Uh, there, there was a lot of noise and, and craziness going on. Um, there, there, was, there was stuff going on, so Moses is like, well, what's going on? And the Israelites had rebelled, right? They, they made a golden calf out of all their gold, and they were worshiping this golden calf. And I love what Aaron says in this passage. One of my favorite things that anyone says throughout the Bible. Moses says, what were you doing? And Aaron says, Dude, we threw some gold into a place and out came a calf. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like, I used to say to my mom, oh, he was, he was bleeding when I got here, mom. He was my little brother. I don't know. You know what I mean? This is what a child would say. And that's what happens. The people have rebelled so greatly. And, and, and God is not happy with this. Moses intercedes. 
And, 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 and God says, all right, fine. Here, here's what we're going to do. Here's the new plan. Here's plan B. Plan B is you guys go to the promised land. I'm going to send an angel before you, and he'll take care of all your enemies. He'll wipe them all out. You'll go and you'll enjoy the promised land, land filled with milk and honey. You'll be fine. You'll have all, all that you want. However, I'm not going to go. Because if I go, I might kill you on the way. Because you're an obstinate people. So what we have here is a blank check. You can have all that you want, but I'm not going to go. And what Moses says is this. If you don't go, we won't go. Now, I, I, <laughs> I were Moses, I'd have to weigh the options. Everything I want, or I might be killed on the way. I mean, I mean, seriously, if you really look at the options, it doesn't seem like the wisest choice. But Moses knew something. Moses had experienced something. And he realized that what we need is not a land flowing with milk and honey. What we need is not our enemies taken care of. What we need is you. That we were created to need intimacy with the Father. That was what we were created to, to, to have, to be, to need. Not the stuff. We have got to remember our complete and utter inadequacy. And we can never forget that we have a good father who yearns for us to bother him with our every need. Because we serve a God who delights to find those who are lost. We serve a God who loves to save those who are in trouble to provide for those who are in need, to give rest to those who are weary and heavy laden, to encourage the downcast, to lift up the lowly, to satisfy the hungry, and to embrace those who are desperate for him. We, we don't like helplessness, but what we find is that our frailty is a gift. It's a gift because it forces us into intimacy with the one who is the fulfillment of all our desires. God mercifully created us to be insufficient so that we might experience the fullness of his sufficiency and the extravagance of his unending love. There was a woman who lived a while ago that was passionate about Jesus, Teresa de Lasso. And, and this woman, she said, here was the picture that she had of God. Is when she was a child, uh, she would want to go up steps, but she was too small to go up steps. And she realized she couldn't go up steps, but all she needed to do was to go to the steps, reach up her arms, and just cry out. And her parents would pick her up. And she said, that's the picture of God that I see. That all we need to do is to reach out and say, God, I am helpless. I can't do it. I can't even believe like I'm supposed to believe. Help me. Help my unbelief. And God delights to take care of us, to save us, to help us, and most of all, to draw near to us in the midst of all that we're going through. What we need more than anything is intimacy with the Father. And our helplessness forces us into intimacy. And in the midst of all that we're going through, he is there. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that we worship. How amazing is our God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
wow. Lord, I don't want to be helpless. I don't want to be the victim, Lord. I want to be the hero. But I'm not. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to realize that we are inadequate, that we are insufficient, that we are in need, and we would continually come to you over and over, day in and day out, crying out to you to save us, to help us, to draw near to us. Lord, give us the audacity to bother you with our every need. And Lord, I pray that in the process you would draw us near to yourself, that we might experience the intimacy with you that we were created to have, created to need. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who made all of this possible. And so we ask these things in his beautiful name, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.